is their time for the Cats? Is there one more roll of the dice for Geelong? They've led it all night, the Cats. What can they muster here? There must be just seconds left. That's it. It's all over. The Swans into a preliminary final. What a game. What a game of Australian rules football. Welcome to the Dilip Ram All-Rounder podcast. It is still the 18th of November and it is around 11.15am and I'm with my guest for today, Dhruv Kaushik. Dhruv, we did a cricket episode earlier and we are, but we're going to focus today on the AFL and particularly the 2005 AFL Premiership final between the Sydney Swans and the West Coast Eagles. Dhruv, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dilip. Now, Dhruv, the first thing I always want to ask for a new guest, and I appreciate you've already done an episode with me, but we haven't covered it. I want to know if you could choose a sport that you could have been a professional athlete in, what would it have been and why? Look, I grew up playing AFL. I grew up playing cricket. But if I had the skills and be a superstar athlete, it has to be cricket playing for India. A Love lot of it. people in your previous guests have said that, and I <laughs> completely agree. Just... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you, if you could give me all the skills in the world, it has to be cricket. Interesting. Um, and I want to I want to talk about this this AFL experience and growing up with AFL. Um, but before I do, who's the GOAT? So, again, a lot of people have kind of, you know, justified their selection. Now, for the sports that I follow yeah. and in my lifetime, and I completely understand the argument for Sachin Tendulkar, and I was, you know, he debuted in 1989. I was probably too young to appreciate how good he was in his first peak. He did have a second coming and yep. completely understood and completely enjoyed that. However, I'm going to base this on, you know, watching them play and how they influence games. And it has to be Virat Kohli. I, I love it. I mean, his, you know, the amount of clutch moments he's had being in T20s and, you know, Mohali, Melbourne, your tests in Adelaide or... ODIs just there's way too many to name I just and the pressure that he's on he was the check completely changed the landscape of Indian cricket through um, just fielding his diet his preparations for games he really mm. led the team from the front now you, you can say that you know he hasn't performed in knockout matches but it's a team sport at the end of the day yeah. um, so the amount of influence that he's had overall to Indian cricket has to be Brad Coley that's a great reason for why he would be the GOAT. Um, I particularly agree with you on the pressure standpoint. I don't think any other player, maybe such in to an extent, has played with as much pressure in three different formats. We're talking today about AFL, and AFL's got an interesting relationship in the sort of Australian sports hemisphere, and particularly New South Wales. So I want to kind of get a sense from you. You mentioned you grew up playing AFL. Can you build into, dive into that a little bit more? So I started my, so when I came to Australia when I was seven, I played soccer for three years yep. and um, I was, you know, I quite, I quite like to get into contact sports. So, um, and I'm sure most schools um, played the Paul Kelly Cup. Yep. So I, great Sydney you know, Swans player. Yep. <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, so I, you know, I thought I should play for the school. Um, the coach of the school team just happened to be the coach of the local club, Quakers or Bombers. And he identified, you know, I had some skills and asked if I would like to play um, on the on the weekend. But um, my mom at the time was very hesitant to put putting me through AFL. So my coach had a good talking to my mom. Um, but in the end, I, I ended up playing for Quakers with Bombers. I, now, I was 11 at the time and I was yeah. studying for my selective school test. So I only played seven games for the whole season. Wow. Um, and t well, luckily, I got rookie of the season so, in the whole club. So I was like, OK, I'm actually pretty decent at this. Um, what position were you playing? I was playing rock. So yep. um, rock. Wow. Random, um, random fact, I haven't grown since I was 14. So this was my wow. height when I was 14 years old at six feet. So oh, you were in a giant then. I was the tallest person in district, actually. Oh. So that's why it was a, I was always a rock. Um, anyway, so, but I was a vegetarian at the time, so I didn't yeah. have much size. So I was thrown around yeah. quite a bit. 
Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I ended up playing for Quakers Hill, played, played reps growing up, um, played state, um, ended up, you know, at 15, 16, I got a call from a couple of clubs being Sydney Swans and the Western Bulldogs. They wanted to, um, have a chat and just see where my progress was. But, um, I, um, luckily got, got a job at PwC, um, at that time. So then I had to make a decision if, um, you know, if I take the footy and, or, or, or the corporate life, and I took the corporate life and said goodbye to the GWS Academy. I, I, I really like that story because it's firstly Indian background. We don't have many, um, I would say, Indian Australians that play AFL or support AFL. Um, Drew's an athlete. Um, he, he's played, does any sport he plays, he's fantastic at. But it's really cool that you, you got that um, integration and played AFL. I think personally, from my standpoint, we... In New South Wales, AFL doesn't have a as strong a community and culture as it would in Victoria and probably the rest of Australia, perhaps barring Queensland. I mean, the AFL season for me, we I, I went to Trinity and you didn't really have an AFL season. It was you play three games if you wanted to for the team. Um, I would say though, when we played, I played full forward <laughs> and we played at uh, Homebush Stadium. We, we managed, it was one of those days, I think they just invited a lot of those teams to come play a play a game at um, Homebush Stadium I kicked three behinds <laughs> no goals so I developed this reputation for just standing in the in the 50 meter circle being able to mark but missing every time so I don't know if it was I don't know if that's a good reputation to have well if it was I think the only sport in the world that awards for a miss yeah <laughs> it's if you miss the goal hey you still get a point um and you know there's there's reasons for that but i love the sport as you say it's a dynamic sport i want to unpack the the future of afl in new south wales when we talk about when we do embrace debate but it's clear that it is uh probably sits behind rugby and football um and soccer to some extent in New South Wales in the pecking order. If you just open up a newspaper in Sydney, if you know, you're at work, you open a paper, the sports page is always dominated by rugby league and perhaps AFL when, when the Swans are doing well, it'll be on page, page three of the sporting headlines. And I don't know what you can do to fix that in New South Wales, but I feel as if the support has improved over time with how Sydney Swans have played. Exactly. I mean, Sydney Swans, and it's a, I think it's called Ray Morgan survey. Sydney Swans are the most supported club in Australia. Now, wow. the, the day when they there's a definition of supporting yeah. is do you know the team? Now, right. you know they, you might right. not follow the team, but Sydney Swans are well known across New South Wales and Australia. Now, um, and, and AFL recognised the you know the growing population of Western Sydney, and that's why they planted a team right in the middle of that. Now, what AFL does well and similar to soccer is they concentrate on the grassroots level. They yeah. Um, through the OSCE program. So there's, they invite a lot of, you know, kids playing this from the ages of six to, you know, go, going forward. Yeah. And they have a women's um, competition as well, which is a very well-established competition now. So, yeah. which I don't think rugby league does very well. And I could be wrong on this in terms of there is no talent path, proper structured talent, talent pathway yeah. to, to get to the, I guess, on a professional level. So, and exp- AFL is getting a lot of exposure now. I mean, given mm. GWS, um, and it just comes with performances. I mean, if, yeah. if GWS performs and um, wins the grand final in the next five to 10 years, that will, that will you know, yeah. skyrocket uh, the popularity. And similar to Sydney Swans after 2005, which we're going to talk about, you, you'd seen the, premi- the the interest and the popularity within New South Wales just yeah. skyrocket. And now Sydney Swans have almost 70,000 members. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point about, I think they need a premiership. If, if GWS, there's a, such a strong sporting fan base in Western Sydney that if they've got a winning team, it's very easy to support. And I, I think New South Wales generally tend to we be we're tending to be more fair weather fans where if our team does well we will go out and support so i think it needs a premiership as you say and we'll, we'll unpack that in embrace debate but great point let's move to 2005 um check what happened in the world in 05 and there was a few different things and i do this because it reinforces to us how completely different the world was even 10 15 years ago in 2005 the top grossing move, movie was star wars Episode three, Revenge of the Sith. So we're, I haven't even heard of Star Wars in the last few years. So we've got that. The Some of the most popular books were Twilight, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. In the online world, YouTube was created in February 2005. And the most popular website 
was Yahoo. <laughs> well, John Howard was still Prime Minister. John, Johnny Howard was Prime Minister. Bob Carr was still the Premier of New South Wales. We're really going back. Cronulla Wrights. Cronulla, oh yes, yes. Um, and the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl for the third time. Bali Nine were arrested. The, so, in short, we're talking about a world that we were in a different world. And it, I feel as if 2005 wasn't that long ago, but it was 18 years ago now. So it, it's going back in time. And shifting that to the AFL, we were the 2005 AFL season. It was the 109th AFL season. It was originally known as the Victorian Football League until 1989. And then we saw the integration of a lot of the other states into, into the code, making it an Australian Football League. In 05, it had 16 clubs. The season ran generally along the lines of the rugby league season as well. So from March to about September, it was a 22-game home and away season, followed by a final series featuring the top eight clubs. I think it makes sense to talk about a few of the things I want to talk about when we talk about hot seats. So we'll get into hot seat. I had a few things that I wanted that I thought were emblematic of what was going on at the, in the season and that build up to the final, which we'll talk about. The first thing I had was game style. That Sydney Swans team, and we were talking about this before we started recording, it was a, if I can use a football analogy, it was a Jose Mourinho style, park the bus, defend and get a counter, score one goal and win a game. That's how I thought the Swans were playing back then. The, the AFL game was very different um, back then, but I thought Paul Ruse, the Sydney Swans coach, identified that his team probably wasn't the most talented team out there that season, but he had a team full of players who were willing to basically die for their team. And he utilized that to create one of the strongest defensive teams in football. That's right. And that's what the Bloods culture is all about. So, I mean, the background is Paul Ruse. He's, he's good at identifying talent. And he used to, at during that time, Sydney was had the had the ability to to find players who were delisted or were not getting games at other clubs and they um paul Ruse would bring them in and and work as a team and work yep. on the team defense now he, and he, he believed and he got this a lot of coaching from uh, american football so he his wife's american so he used to spend a lot of time you know studying american sports and understand how the team defense works now he implemented that into the sydney swans mm -hmm. and you know funny you mentioned that actually because I think it was round nine in 2005 when they lost against St Kilda. Um, they got 50-odd points. Now, that's a very low score yeah. in, in AFL. And the CEO at the time, AFL, um, Andrew Demetrio, he famously said that this Sydney Swans lineup will never play and uh, never win a premiership playing with that game style. And he called them the ugly ducklings. And Wow. I had that. We, that's to a, yeah, we told he, them that. It's, it's very interesting for a CEO of a football code to come out and lambast one of the, one of the teams. But it probably just was emblematic of how different they were playing football compared to the Victorian clubs and the rest of the AFL code. I guess as Swans fans, we probably didn't have as much issue with how they played because they were winning uh, most of the time. But it was it was an interesting team where, and we can talk about it where you you're comparing the likes of you've you you know you've got Kirk, O'Loughlin, Barry Hall. Adam Goods to an extent um, compared with some of these superstars at other teams, but they still somehow made it work. And I think it goes to your point about they were a team rather than a team of individuals. That's right. And that, like I mentioned, they really worked on that Bloods culture. The, the, and I guess it still lives on today. And, you know, the, from the seniors being coached by the juniors, it's, it's a whole club um, that, that gets, gets the win in the end. Great call out. Um, it leans into this. The second thing I had was in-season form. As you said, that season that the Swans won in 05 wasn't actually all that smooth sailing. They were out of the top eight five times in the first half of the season, and they actually didn't get into the top four until round 16. So it wasn't a season where they said, where you said they dominated the season from the get-go. Um, and they had this, I would say, enviable record where they were dominating against uh, opposition teams that were outside of the top eight, and then when they came up against finals opposition, they were they were not as successful. So they were under the spotlight there. The number three thing I had was, I'm calling it poor, poor Victoria. Victorian football in that period was, I think, uh, on, on the decline. Um, the, a lot of the Victorian teams were not dominating as we're seeing in, in today's game. 
you had the Brisbane Lions of the early 2000s dominating. And then we had Sydney, Adelaide, West Coast all performing well. And it actually led to Andrew Demetra ordering an investigation into why Victorian clubs were being dominated by the interstate rivals. That investigation, I think, happened in 06 or 07. But in these sort of years, we were seeing Victorian football fall away while the rest of Australia was getting better. I personally think that helped the code because it made it more a national sport and Victorian clubs will support their team regardless of how they perform. Whereas you and me or others in New South Wales, if the Swans aren't playing well, they're going to suffer from an attendance perspective. So that was one of my hot seats. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we had, you know, the three-peat Brisbane Lions premiership could arguably could be one of the greatest yeah. teams to go down. We had Port Adelaide win it in 2004, Swans 05, West Coast 06, and then finally yeah. in 07, Geelong, Geelong wins that thrashing against Port Adelaide. So, <laughs> um, and I mean, over the past 10 to 15 years, we've seen the opposite now where yeah. the Victorian teams are extremely strong. Um, and the issue, part of the issue is the grand finals always played at the MCG. So, and the big team teams usually have the home ground as as the Melbourne cricket ground yeah. or they play a lot of games at the Melbourne cricket yeah. ground so they've got that home ground advantage in the biggest game of the year so i mean there's look the afl is never going to be an even sport there's no. going to, especially with the fixture with with home grounds with almost 10 teams located in victoria so it's never going to be an even competition but you just got to got to play with what you've got it's actually a really good point i i don't know what the AFL would do if, for example, Sydney made a final against GWS. They would still have it at the MCG, but it almost seems... It, I don't know. It seems as if when you've got that sort of... Uh, those two teams playing, it, they should consider moving it out of the state, but I don't think they'll ever do it. Well, they've just signed an extension to the contract to 2056. <laughs> so, so it's not happening anytime soon. I mean, hopefully <laughs> at 2057, they will share the grand final, but yeah. who knows, I'll be... 30, 50, 60 odd. <laughs> yeah, we'll be we'll be old. Um, did I miss anything in hot seat? I personally, my hot seat was going into the grand final was yeah. um, the West Coast midfield. Okay, I mean they that midfield would potentially go down as one of the greatest midfields to ever play the game. They mm. had um, Chris Shod, who was the reigning Brownlow medalist from two thousand four. Yep. They had Ben Cousins, who was the current Brownlow medal in two thousand five. Yep. They had Daniel Kerr who was second in the Brownlow medal that year. And they had Dean Cox, who will go down as arguably one of the greatest Rockmen to ever play the game. So that quadrant of unbelievable, unbelievable midfielders, if they don't have a premiership to show for it, they it would be a, at that time, yeah. now in hindsight, 2006, they won. But yeah. at, at that time, they had a lot of pressure going into at least the talent that they had under disposal, they had to show a premiership. It's a, it's a great call. I don't know how they fit all of those players under the salary cap. It's we the Galactio of... Yeah, uh, of, it's the Real Madrid, the Real Madrid of, uh, of AFL. Um, I mean, we ultimately did see a lot of those players move out of, move out, move out of the club for off-field and on-field reasons. Someone like... Uh, eventually, someone like Chris Judd, you're not going to be able to keep all those stars under this in, in the same team he eventually moved to Carlton but I think in 05 06 as you say that was a team that probably people were expecting to win three or four premierships with how well they were playing that Darren Glass at the back they they had a team that I thought if you put them side by side each player was probably better than the Swans player but it's that magic of of the Swans that they were able to somehow um, utilize their their best efforts to compete against comp compete against an Eagles outfit that I thought was better. And I agree. West Coast were either first or second with yeah. Adelaide all season. Sydney now they won after round nine. They only won four games, and after round fifteen they won seven. Um, they won eight games. So they went on a seven game winning streak to finish the season as third. And at that time, hopefully that that form continued. Yeah. So. I think I think we've we've covered hot seat. I want to get I want to take a quick break and then we'll get into the top five moments and some of the other segments and categories. We'll be right back after this. Yeah, I think you go into a grand final and uh, not that I've ever spoken to any other grand final coaches about it, but I think you go in and you've almost rehearsed your your victory speech and you've rehearsed your you know your your speech in terms of losing as well. So and but I hadn't sort of rehearsed that part of it, I guess. But I think at that moment, you know, talking, you know thinking about how much had gone into it. The people have waited 72 years to see 
South Melbourne slash Sydney Swans win the Premiership. Here it is! Top five moments. Drew, we're talking about the final here, but I feel as if it would be an injustice to that whole year if we don't cover some of the build some of the moments that built up to that final so i've got a few honorable mentions and clearly if i forget things i want you to jump in because this season had so many highlights my first honorable mention and it's almost the number one moment for the season if we were doing the season but it's nick davis nick davis comes to save us <laughs> nick davis comes to save us that fourth quarter Put into context, Sydney is playing Geelong in a, we can call it, is it a qualifying final or a preliminary final? So Sydney played West Coast in the qualifying final because it's two versus three. And then we may get into that. But however, they lost that final by four points, which means we play the winner off the other. Yes. And and Geelong had just um, been Melbourne. They're feeling good. They're playing at the SCG. That final drove, it's a sellout at the SCG. The Swans are playing terribly. Their scoreline reflects the game style that they're adopting, which is we're not going to score more than 60 points in any game. Um, the, C- the SCG, for people that don't know, it is a smaller AFL ground compared to other grounds, which means it gets very congested in the middle. It's hard to have free space. And it was a, it was a tough, rugged game. Now, the Swans are down 20 points in that fourth quarter. And the person you least expect to do anything, Nick Davis, who is a, call him a half forward that was a very accurate kick on goal, kicks four completely different goals to win them that final. And his final goal, if if you've got a soul, go on YouTube, watch the highlights, listen to Anthony Hudson um, commentate uh, Nick Davis's four goals, listen to the radio version of it. I think it was on 3AW. It is one of the most amazing scenes, I think, in sport. I know people in the US probably will say, what, what does this mean? <laughs> but if they understood the context, I think it's one of the great moments in sport. I agree. Like Sydney were horrible for the first three quarters. We kicked three goals for the whole three quarters. Now, in the first few minutes, Geelong kicks the first goal in the final quarter. And the person who kicked the goal forgot his name. However, it was Nick Davis's opponent. Yep. So um, Brett, Sydney's co-captain at that time, Brett Kirk, Goes up to Nick Davis, is it famously goes down for folklore that he grabbed him and says, "You owe us a wow. effing goal," um, wow. and I guess that really drove him. And then I guess the response from Davis is now you know part of football culture, regarded by many as one of the one of the best final quarters by a player in history to kick four final quarter goals, including one in the last five seconds of the game. <laughs> and back then, Channel Ten, when there's Channel 10 was obviously yeah. the broadcaster. Now, they, when there's five minutes to go in the final quarter, they yes. start, um, the clock ticks upwards, not downwards. Yeah. So no one knows how, how long left in the game. So um, no one knew if there, there was five or 10 seconds, but in hindsight, <laughs> last five seconds. Now, Nick Davis comes to save us. <laughs> and, you know, he later mentioned actually that he was 25 minutes late to the game or, or to the team wow. meetings. And actually, he accidentally hit Paul Williams, one of, one of a great... <laughs> players he's, he had a corked thigh at the time he accidentally kicked him and you know that he was carrying so everything was going against him that night but who knows he um nick davis had an interesting relationship i think with the swans and paul ruse because he wasn't the hardest working player he'd come from melbourne he'd had a reputation for being collingwood. yeah oh, from collingwood good call um but that final he will be remembered for that performance for the rest of his life and it solidified him as a swans great I personally think. Um, great call. It was a great match. I think we'll remember it, remember it for the rest of our lives, um, that performance. You can make a movie about that. Yeah, <laughs> you could. As you say, we'll get into it, but you can make a movie about that. Good call. He's an honourable mention, arguably, arguably the performance of the season. The other honourable mention, we have to talk about it, Drew. Sydney makes a semi-final. We'll call it a preliminary final against the Saints. Yep. And... They are down in that fourth quarter. They're, they're almost, they're going to lose. And then for some reason, they, they find this spark and kick five or six goals in that final 10 minutes. The final scoreline suggests it wasn't in a competitive game, but it was a competitive game. And the Swans make their second grand final. It was. It was three quarter time. It was neck and neck. And yep. they blew it away in the six, last quarter, six or seven goals. Now, funny thing about the game is Barry Hall. Yeah. Um, 
It's his old team. Yeah, his old team. And he... Now, we got very lucky, to be honest, if, if you know, in hindsight, that, you know, he accidentally... Oh, um, yes. ...punched Matt Maguire. Now... In quotes. In, in quotes. <laughs> now, it was a, a little bit away from the ball, but I think this we were paying the Swans lawyers quite a bit of money to, to get him off... Um, <laughs> Where you know he it was yeah. argued that it was in play, but in hindsight, we're probably lucky enough. He was very lucky. I think in today's game, he's getting a one to two match suspension, particularly for his previous track record. Um, well, at the time, he hadn't punched Brent Staker. No, I that's two thousand seven. I two- was at the game actually. And I'll, <laughs> did you see it? Or- I did see it live. Oh, it, was, it wasn't pretty to watch. So I, obviously, I think at the time, Barry Hall was a hothead. He he was known to others that if you rile him up a little bit you could get a reaction from him but from a swans fans perspective we loved him because he he gave his blood for the shirt he won a premiership and he was a great forward in his own right uh great great call drew um did i miss any before we get into the final i just want to mention the qualifying final now that's an important game to consider in this whole scheme of things because and we may talk about how close the sydney west coast rivalry was at that time and i think the qualifying final was actually the start of the, mm. the intense rivalry where Sydney, again, there was a neck and neck game, very close. And in the last quarter, um, West Coast just pips Sydney by four points. And I'm sure you've seen um, mm. the famous photo of Michael O'Loughlin close to the <laughs> West Coast cheer squad. Um, so, I mean, that's like a said, beautiful photo. That is an amazing and, and video. Photo. Yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, if anyone ha- that hasn't seen it, um, just go on YouTube, type in. Michael O'Loughlin and fan or something and you'll get it. It's um it, it's great. So as you say, Drew, they they lose to West Coast in that in a in a in a qualifying final and the two teams meet again in the final. And I think the final was it was it was a great game in the sense that it was close throughout. It wasn't a miraculous comeback by one of the teams that made it close in the fourth quarter. It was the both two, both teams will had different styles and they, they kept it close in each quarter while each quarter had its ups and downs. And then it ultimately resulted in a final quarter where you had highlights, highlights of plenty. So one of the um, top five moments I had was Dean Cox's goal in that first quarter. And I had it because as you say, you were a Ruckman, so you would appreciate this. It is very uncommon for Ruckman to run a lot with a ball. Their, their, their task is generally to uh, tip the ball out from, from a throw-in or from the, from the center bounce and uh, get it for some of their other stars to, 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 to do whatever they wanted. But Dean Cox taps out a ball from his, um, from his 50 and then runs all the way down, gets a ball, runs another 100 meters and kicks a goal from the 50. I thought it was a perfect moment to uh, signify a player who I thought was one of the best Ruckman in the comp at the time. And that's why it's a moment for me. Before I do get to my, I had an honorable mention um, and I forgot who kicked the ball in, but it was late in the final quarter. Yeah. There was a pack. Sydney were five points up. There was a pack. It was crashed. The ball went over the pack. And luckily, the West Coast player, the, there was a ball of bounce of the ball just went our yeah. way. Tide Canelli took the ball and he ran what? it into the into to get it behind. Now, if the ball bounced the other way, it could have been a West Coast goal. West Coast in front and with a minute to play. So Tide Canelli's behind was, I think, my honorable mention. But that, Yeah, that's a great one. My fifth is Adam Hunter's goal late in the third quarter. Now, you know, Sydney were two points sorry Sydney were five points down Adam Hunter gets a gets a mark right next to the behind post now if he kicks mm. that they're 11 points up and wow. you know that that you know the final quarter in a grand final momentum's everything so yes. you know West Coast were like I said maybe not five sorry eight points down with one minute left but given the context of that tight game extremely crucial to be within two points of the Swans and I don't think the Swans were going to uh, make a 11 point, eight point deficit up in how they were playing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there were 20, <laughs> by, by context, they were 20 points up at half time. Yeah. So they really, in the premiership third quarter, they didn't, they didn't. I don't think they up. kicked a goal in the, in they the third They did quarter. not. So, and they only kicked two final quarter, go- final quarter goals. So. It just tells you how tough and tight that game was. One of my other top five moments, Drew, it's not a moment, but it's a, it's a period. It was Chris Judd in that first quarter 
He had seven, I think seven or eight clearances from the center square. That we ultimately know that Chris Judd wins the Norm Smith for um, for the final. But the the how strong and good he was in just being able to find the ball and evade tacklers, it was a talent and skill that I don't think anyone in the Swans team probably had to that level. And it goes to your point about they had three stars in that midfield. And I'm, I'm still shocked that West Coast didn't win that game. Chris Judd, it's... That first quarter was incredible. I mean, the whole game was incredible by Chris yeah. Judd. And he was he's the only fourth player in history to win the Norm Smith in a losing side. Now, it tells you how good of a game yeah. that he played um, in a grand final. And he stepped up when it counted the most. Unbelievable. Um, I've got... Look, I so I've got one more moment on the field. And then I've got um, a couple just after the final. But have you got any others? I do. My my fourth moment is Luke Ablett's uh, yes. kick across the ground. Now, amazing mark, one-handed mark um, in a tight context in the last quarter. Now, actually, all my moments are in the fourth quarter. And naturally, in a <laughs> close game, yeah. every moment is highlighted yeah. or heightened. So, I mean, one-handed mark followed by a horrible kick across <laughs> the face of goal, marked by Cousins, and West Coast are now in front of, four, in, in front of the goal, so yeah. in front of the game for, yeah. in four points. Now, okay. Momentum all West Coast. Three? Three, Amon, Amon Buchanan's winning goal. Well, Amon I, if, Buchanan. You know what? If you ask any Swans fan who win, who kicked the winning, uh, goal. Uh, winning goal, yeah. I don't think many will remember. But no. Amon Buchanan, like it was a stoppage close to goal, very Nick Davis-like <laughs> in front of the goal stoppage. And Sydney's in those years, as you mentioned, great contested team. And, you know, they kicked a similar goal in the semifinal. West Coast were caught off guard. Yep. And, you know, Buchanan kicks, kicks the final quarter of the Buchanan, Buchanan, to me, is another Sydney Swans player that if we fast forward 20 years, I don't know how many fans are saying, oh, Buchanan was one of those, was a stalwart in that team. But he was a great Sydney Swan in his own right. I always used to confuse Buchanan and Adam Schneider. <laughs> Same. They, they both left foot kicks. Correct. Um, and I always felt like they looked similar, but they were both great players. I don't think they were originally from Sydney. I mean, a lot of the Swans players weren't. I don't from, remember, but Buchanan yeah. play, went, on, went on to play for Brisbane and then yeah. um, Schneider played for St Kilda. Yeah, great call. Number two, Drew? <laughs> Barry Hall's goal <laughs> Barry. in fourth quarter. Big bad Barry. Well, he, like, you know, he only kicked one goal for the, for the game yeah. up to that point. And, you know, he marks the, marks the ball. He kicks the ball outside 50 when the game was all West Coast at that point in time. It brings the Swans within four points. You know, and it was Swan's first goal in the second half because they were went goalless in the third quarter. For a, such a big unit, Barry Hall had a. I personally he had a limited kicking range. He could he would usually just kick within the fifty, but he was um, in that time where we had, I would say, two forwards, Michael O'Loughlin and Barry Hall. They both weren't pr- prodigious goal scorers. They probably kicked two or three goals a game. But they always kicked it when it counted. And that's this goal was just an example of that, kicking it when the Swans really needed a goal. And it turned the game. And ultimately, we can say his goal was one of the contributing factors to winning the game. And Barry Hall is, I guess, when you think about it, as a prototype center forward, yep. you know, big, muscly, big structure, who, yep. you know, part of that spine of the team. Mm. He's a captain of the team. And he, and he delivered when the, when the Swans needed it the most. Exactly. Great call. I, if, if, if this is not the number one moment, then I don't know what is, but it's, and I think you can do it by the quote, Leo Barry Eustar. I, I actually memorized the whole commentary <laughs> <laughs> 10 <laughs> seconds before. It's Dean Cox kicks on the left. One last roll <laughs> dice for the Eagles. And it's Stephen Quarterman, right? Yes. Is, um... So Leo Barry in the back pocket. Heads along the boundary line. Oh, good mark by Cox. Cox throws it onto the left. One last roll of the dice for the Eagles! Oh. Leo Barry, you star! Bob Murray reincarnate. The longest premiership drought in football history is over. For the first time in 72 years, the Swans are champions of the AFL. It's, it's a moment that captures 
just everything about that final. It's it has all the stars there. Dean Cox takes it's. I argue. I think it's a push in the back. It was. It's it's a clear push that the 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 refs don't want to call. Um, probably in the moment they know there's only a few seconds to go. Just give it. So he takes this mark, kicks it back in. It's crying for a West Coast mark, siren to um, to blow, and then for a kick after the siren to win a game. Um, but Leo Barry just comes. He just runs in takes a leaping mark in the moment, in the circumstances. You've got to say it's one of the greatest marks of all time. 100%. It will all go down as one of the greatest marks. Definitely one of the greatest pack marks. I mean, yep. there was nine plays in that pack. Now, looking back at that famous photo, it could be <laughs> argued that maybe Tide Canelli pushed Ashley Sampy in the back, but let's... <laughs> I didn't see any of that. <laughs> I was blind at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like you said, single most important mark in grand final history to, to, to win the game at that point in time, Leo Barry Ustar. It's um, it's a moment. It it's a moment you can just go on YouTube if you're ever feeling down as a Swans fan. We haven't won a premiership since 2012. Just look at those. You you watch that and you feel better again. Um, it's it it defined that season. I think with Nick Davis's four goals, it's up there in probably the two highlights for that season. Would you agree? Definitely. I mean, with even commentary, I, yeah. I, I see it, but I don't believe it. I see it, but I don't believe. It. Watch the listen to the radio version. It's, uh, it's this, I think it's Rex. Uh, there's some Melbourne guys that are doing it. Um, Gary Lyon is on there. And he says, uh, he, say, he says something to the effect of like, I could die now and I'd be a happy man. <laughs> it's, they couldn't believe it, what they were watching. So if, if anyone's bored, go on YouTube and watch those highlights of Nick Davis. It'll make, it'll make your day. Um, I think we've caught the, 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 the best moments of that um, final, Drew. I had a couple others. And one was, you mentioned it, the bloods, the Brett Kirk, when he when he receives his medal, he says, this is for the Bloods and echoed it around the MCG as he accepts his tw- premiership medal. For Paul Ruse, when he, he he goes on stage and he says, for the people who've waited 72 years to see South Melbourne here it um, is. slash Sydney swin- Swans win the premiership, here <laughs> it is. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a great moment for for Sydney, it we, we might talk. I might briefly mention it when I talk about some of these weird and wonderful stats. But it was watched by a lot of people that final, um, and yeah, I think it'll be one of those finals that we remember for a lot of for for years to come. Um, would you believe that? I've got three things here, Drew, and one of them, one or two, you've you've captured, which is which is great. The one was the great rivalry, and you're right. In the 19 months between September 2005. And I think it's March 2007. They play six times, West Coast and Sydney. And their margins are this, 4-4-2-1-1-1. That's unheard of. It will go down as probably one of the greatest rivalry in AFL. Purely, I mean, there's the point differential is one part. But four out of those six games were finals. Yeah. Two out of those six games were grand finals. Yeah. Now, to get a close games in grand finals like that, it's you don't it's, it might not have happen ever again i don't think it could um and you're right because they go to 2006 and then swans win the first final and well, then lose by one point 85 84 and then the grand final west coast wins by one point 85 84 uh ty Canelli, he became the first irishman to win an afl premiership medal in 2005 uh, he played all games that season including his 100th afl game and my third point and you caught it was chris judd he became the fourth player to win the Norm Smith on a losing side. I mean, I don't know whether I like the the a, a player on the losing team to win the Norm Smith. I think it's somewhat like we see in the NBA when they announce the finals MVP. They rarely ever give it to the player on the losing team. I mean, LeBron might have won it a few times had they adopted this approach. But he was, you could argue, he was so far above the rest of the other players on that ground that they had no choice but to give Chris Judd the Norm Smith. So that's what I had. Am I missing any other stats? Or have we, I think and you did mention this. This was the highest rated AFL game of yeah. all time with a total average of almost 4.5 million viewers. Yeah. Total average. And it remains as one of the most watched television broadcasts in Australia since 2001, ranked eighth. So clearly tells you if Sydney's in the grand final, you're going to get a bumper rating. And it... It emphasizes why the AFL has worked so hard to broaden and expand the sport outside of Melbourne. Um, 
yes, if you're a Melbourne fan, you'd say, we're not interested in that final, but you'd still watch it because you love the AFL. But the AFL in those other states, let's say Queensland and New South Wales, they're only going to start watching if their team's in it and it helps the AFL. So great call. I didn't have anything for the Don Drew. I thought, I thought it was a great final, but I don't think I... Arguably, you could say maybe it was Chris Judd's one of his best performances in, in a match, but it wasn't, it wasn't a final where you had 10 goals kicked by Lance Franklin. or you, you, We didn't have those sort of performances, so I couldn't really grant it to anyone, but I wanted to give a shout-out to Nick Davis. I think it's a don in the sense he's the reason they're in the final, and he played his greatest match in that year in the lead-up to that. So it's just a shout-out to him. I'm giving it to Nick Davis. I agree. Oscars, can you make a movie out of it? I don't think you can make a movie out of the final, but I think you can, as you said, I think you can make a movie for the Sydney-Geelong uh, uh, final because of the moment, what was happening in that game. But I've got to be honest, I don't think many people are going to be watching an AFL movie. <laughs> Look, it's going to be limited to just Victoria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I personally think you could make a movie out of it just for the season, maybe not for the grand final, but yeah. I mean... It's the longest premiership drought in football history and still yes. remains of 72 years. People go through their whole lifetime without winning, without seeing yeah. you know, their team win a it's premiership. A good call. I mean, the AFL system now is structured in a way where these droughts are not supposed to happen. Like, um, there's a draft system. The team that finished bottom will get pick number one, pick number two, and, as you, and, and, so, and so forth now. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think you can yeah. make a team yeah, for the season, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And Brad Pitt as Paul's Ru- Paul Ruse, I think. Brad, well, he did do um, Moneyball. Moneyball. So he, Paul Ruse is a good-looking man. <laughs> I think he'd be. I think he'd be chuffed if Brad Pitt took his uh, took his role. So that's a good one. The Rock as Barry Hall, you reckon? <laughs> it's, same build, same hairstyle. I don't do. It, do they have the budget? <laughs> Is I don't know if the budget's there, but if the budget's there and The Rock starts working on his fitness, because he's got to now start running twenty kilometers on on the field. Oh, you know Barry Hall, maybe sustain the sustain the fifty, he'll be fine. Um, I want to finish with this, Drew. Uh, it's embrace debate. I uh, love I love debating a couple of points, and I think there's a couple of points that I want to touch base with you. The first one is Western Sydney, and we covered it at the start, but the question is. Is AFL a lost cause in Western Sydney? What can be done, if anything, to fix it? Now, I've used some emotive words there, lost cause. You could argue it's not a lost cause, they're doing well. But I'll, I'll frame it in this way. I had a look at the attendance record for GW, uh, Greater Western Sydney and Sydney Swans. I don't think Greater Western Sydney has ever averaged more than 12,000 fans at their at their home ground and usually what happens is when you have a new team enter into a new sport new community you get an uptick in your fans uh, initially and then it's all depending on performance but i don't know if the gws has been able to make an imprint into the western sydney market and i don't know if it's going to be fixed by simply winning a premiership we saw they've made the finals is it twice once or twice a grand final once or twice twice now twice now they've lost on both occasions but we haven't seen a significant increase in their fan base outside of that even after those strong performances so i don't know whether it's a project that is just doomed um, to fail They've now played in Western Sydney for coming up to almost 15 years. They were integrated in 2012. So I'm pessimistic about the future. Yeah, I think there's a couple of points here. I think you need to understand the market. Now, Sydney is a very fickle crowd. We Sydney as a as a city will more likely support the winning team. And when it's not, yeah. not on top, they, and you see this in, in rugby league, you see this um, sometimes in cricket, sometimes, and AFL is no, no, um, no exception to that. Now, Sydney in you know late 90s were abysmal as well i mean mm. they um they had ron barassi who um had to come come to sydney and really save save the club in terms of improving the standards um they recruited paul ruse they recruited um a, a range of different players just to improve the, the the sydney landscape and the club itself now um and you may see this as uh, the sydney's recruitment strategy in the past few years where there's always a face of the sydney swans before we had barry hall 
we had Adam Goods. Now, then we had Lance Franklin, who's yep. who was the who was the face. Now, now Lance Franklin is retired. Now, now there's a debate where the Sydney Swans still require a marquee forward to, mm. to be the face of the club. Now, and this has taken almost 40 years for Sydney Swans to be established in the market. GWS, they, like you said, they've been in the competition for almost 13 years now. They got in 2012. Oh, t- sorry, 11 years now. Yeah. So, um, and they've been really focusing on the grassroots level and the multicultural communities. I think those are the two sort of areas that they're really expanding into. Now, mm. um, with... You will see this in the next generation, I believe, um, when when all these kids who've you know started supporting GWS in, in the mid teens, mid two thousands to late two thousands, um, where, where they grow up with GWS, and hopefully by then GWS will win a premiership to really um, kickstart their that kickstart that that membership base. Um, they do have they do play four games in Canberra, so they've got an alliance with Canberra, and they play seven games in in, in Homebush. So. Um, Really depends on where if GWS really wants to capture the Western Sydney market or they want to capture the Canberra market. They've been pretty, quite strong in Canberra and they've got good, good, um, and maybe part of that average attendance is bumped up by the by Monica Oval's um, attendance. However, they really need to maybe just focus on Western Sydney and um, I agree and really focus on those um, at grassroots grassroots level. It's a good point. I'm probably being impatient with it because, as you say, this is a project that's still in its infancy when you consider how new GWS is compared to Swans and the Victorian clubs, perhaps I'm being impatient and we'll only see the true results in 20 or 30 years time when our own kids, uh, say whoever's in Western Sydney, whether it's had an actual impact at the grassroots level, as you say. So perhaps it is a case of um, we just need to be patient with this project, but the AFL also has to be patient because you would have seen, you know, Tasmania is another project that the AFL is looking into. Hawthorne has relationships with Tasmania. I don't necessarily see Canberra as a market that the AFL can capitalize on because Canberra is never going to fill 40,000, 50,000. You're not going to have 40, 50,000 people attend games there, but you could in Western Sydney. So I agree with you. Maybe it's a case of we revisit this point in 20 years to see whether it's actually been a project that's been worth delivering on because I don't see the results in, say, Gold Coast, for example. So good call. I want to finish with this. And it's good because we didn't include an AFL GOAT in our GOAT conversation, but and we're just two AFL fans. You've played more than I did, but this is just our opinion on um, what we think. But who's the greatest AFL player and why? And a big think about this. And now many players enter this conversation. Now there's a Tony Lockett who's kicked the most goals in AFL. He's kicked more than 1,300 goals. That's a lot of goals. Mm. There's Jason Dunstall. There's Wayne Carey. There's Gary Ablett Sr. Now, all of these players are before my time. Yep. Now, and I'm going to use the same methodology <laughs> that I started the, the podcast with. For Virat. Virat's <laughs> Virat the greatest <laughs> AFL. He's got, he could be. There's a photo of him uh, in a, in a oh, Richmond yeah. jersey. Yeah. <laughs> They weren't happy with that photo. No, um, but look, I'm going to use the same methodology. I and mean, the greatest player that I've watched and, you know, the influence that they've had on games, it's a tough choice between yep. Gary Ablett Jr. and Lance Buddy Franklin. Wow. Now, Gary Ablett, two Brownlow medals. Now, there's not many players who've won two Brownlow medals at two different clubs. There's Chris Judd at Carlton and West Coast. There's Gary Ablett, who's Gold Coast and, and Geelong. Yes. He's got two premierships, Gary Ablett. Now, Lance Franklin, two premierships and four common medals. A forward is very unlikely to win a Brownlow medal. So the awards to, to rank forwards by is your common medal, which yep. is, um, for people listening, is a, is, a, is a player who's kicked the most goals of the, in the season, barring finals. Now, tough choice between the two, but I'd have to say Lance Buddy Franklin. <laughs> That's his... I like that. Just I like that. The amount of new like, clutch goals that he's kicked, like to kick more than a thousand goals in this modern era, unheard with, of. With, with team defense, it's possibly the last ever player to, to kick a thousand goals. And it's that's a really good point that I think needs to be emphasized. And sometimes people just ignore this. They just go on stats and they say, "Well, look at how many goals Dunster will kick, Lockett kicked." But the game was so different. In, in back then, you could survive having a full forward just stay in his 50 and not to not contribute to any of the defensive play, just stay there and kick goals. That was the game that they were playing in. And for someone like Lance Franklin to kick a thousand goals in today's environment is unheard of. And it's, it's a testament to that. I 
somewhat agree. I think it's difficult to talk about the GOAT AFL player when a lot of us fans, say people at our age, we're growing up maybe at the end of Tony Lockett's career, but we're really only watching the modern AFL game. As you said, and I'm happy you shouted them out, Wayne Carey or Lee Matthews were often in that debate as to who's the greatest AFL player. And those are the two players that I was thinking about. I was thinking about Wayne Carey because let's put aside the off-field controversies, which somewhat have damaged his reputation at the end of his career. We're talking about a player that won two AFL premierships. He was a centre-half forward when the centre-half forward position was probably the most important position in, in the AFL. He took some, I think he's got the record for the most contested marks in, in AFL. And he didn't win the Brownlow, but I think his impact on games and finals is, uh, he's got no comparison or no equivalent to that. But I ultimately turned to, and I never saw him play. So it's, it's that argument that I could say Donald Bradman's the GOAT, but I never saw him play, Lee Matthews. And the reason I put him there is, he kicked 900 goals as a quasi full-time midfielder. He averaged 20 plus disposals and three goals a game for his whole career. And I think that's unheard of for a player who was deemed to be a midfielder to still average three goals a game and still um, dispose the ball more than 20 times in a game. It just shows how much influence he exerted over a game. The one detracting factor, and I'm happy you mentioned it, is he never won a Brownlow, which is kind of surprising. But I don't think Brownlows are determinative of who is the best AFL player. I think we see nowadays they just hand Brownlows to any uh, the best midfielder in a team. You, you would never see a forward or a, a back win a Brownlow. And I think that somewhat detracts from the prize. I agree. It's a, it's a, at the end of the day, it's a midfielder medal. Yeah. Um, so, which, is, which, is a, which is a shame because there's no awards for the backmen, unfortunately. Exactly. And there's, you know, Alex Rance in, in the Richmond years was yes. a great backman. Matthew Scarlett was a, a stalwart in that Geelong, Geelong yeah. team. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always going to be a Brownlow medal as long as the umpires will be voting for it. Yeah. Um, so, But brilliant selection, Lee Matthews, and that's why there's a trophy named after, after him. And my other issue with the Brownlow is you're out of contention if you, you're suspended for a game. And that seems to be... It's the best and fairest, unfortunately. Best and fairest. But I'm only interested in the best. <laughs> Drew, this was great. Um, it was our first AFL episode. You bring a wealth of knowledge to, to this sport, and I'm glad we did it. Um, I hope you enjoyed your, your time. I did. Thank you, Dylan.